and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Robbie Bent is an expert in breathwork, sleep, and stress. He is building a global community to improve mental health in a very accessible way. He is the CEO and co-founder of Inward Breathwork, which combines beautiful social spaces built around saunas and ice baths. His company also has the largest library of breathwork content anywhere in the world. It is the very first on-demand breathwork platform, and their classes help people manage stress, improve performance, and deal with challenging emotions. He's been profiled by leading wellness brands like Eight Sleep, the B-Rad Podcast with former guest Brad Kearns, and the Natural State Podcast, and we are honored that he would join us on our show today. Robbie Bent, welcome to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks, Casey. Happy to be here. I appreciate you inviting me out. Yeah, it's such an honor. Um, I'm really excited to talk about breathwork with you. Two things that really kind of seem like an oxymoron, breath and work. Why would I want to work on something that seems to be like so automatic? And like, how as a society do we get to this place where we have to work on something that should be so natural and, you know, easy for us to do? Yeah, very loaded question. So I think just like you have exercise, sleep, uh, you know, diet, uh, breathing is another pillar of health. You can only live uh, a few minutes without breath. So super powerful tool you're using all day from the beginning uh, to the end of life. Uh, Breathing is just imperative and it can be used for so many different things. It controls our nervous system response whether it's, you know, turning on the gas pedal, initiating the fight or flight state, or turning on the break, the parasympathetic break, initiating uh, rest and digest. And so all breathwork really spans around those two things. And, and so there's been a ton of changes in our environment, which is a reason why breathing exercises are becoming important. A number of changes to our natural state, including you know, the use of cell phones, triggering fight or flight all the time, uh, more acidic forming diets, uh, poor sleep are all impacting our our natural breathing habits. Mm, That's a great answer. I want to really deep dive into some techniques and some ways that we can help improve that. But before that, I really would love to get to know you and your story. Can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the challenges you faced growing up and how you got to be where you are today? Sure, definitely. So, Growing up, um, <laughs> yeah, I was very much a yeah, high achiever, very interested in, you know, uh, being successful in school and work, uh, material things were really important to me, uh, just as a way to show like I was important and, and I was lovable. So approval of others, validation, these type of feelings, um, you know, what other people think of me not being confident in my own skin. Uh, those marked, you know, early childhood, high school, university, and as a result, drove me into a career in, in finance. And so I worked in investment banking and then at a hedge fund and then uh, built my own startup. And all of that was in the pursuit of external validation. So that was a big driving force around, you know, what do people think about me? Um, and it led to a lot of un- unhappiness. And so I can go go into any of those in, in more detail, but it was a result um, around 28 of just sort of the company I was working at and founded crashing uh, amongst a number of other things that sort of sent me on this path towards wellness and self-exploration. It all sort of unfolded in a pretty serendipitous way, which I'm happy to talk about, but that's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of some of the challenges I faced and why this stuff's important to me. Hmm. 
I mean, it's it's very interesting to hear everybody's story and how we spend a portion of our lives, some people maybe all of their lives, chasing these ghosts, these things that we think are going to make us happy, you know, the approval, the money, the the job, whatever. And, and I mean, what was the feeling? You said it was a lot of unhappiness, but did it feel like shallow, like chasing after these things? What were your feelings? I don't think the chase itself feels shallow, right? It's a it's a desire. And a lot of times there's in the moment, uh, you know, achieving those things feels good, but then it's, it's fleeting. And so it's, you know, I have a meditation background and it's kind of going towards craving or, uh, aversion. And so the aversion is just trying to move away from things you dislike and trying to go to things towards things, uh, that you really like. And so, that's what your entire life is, is built on when you wake up, you know, you're, you're sort of hardwired to, um, go towards these things. And I think, yeah, as you start achieving these goals, you realize that, um, you know, financial success after a certain, a certain threshold isn't super important. And so that wasn't the issue with me though. For me, I, I mean, in addition to losing the company, I was struggling with substance abuse, drugs and alcohol. Um, and so I would, you know, disappear for days. I was using that to to deal with stress. And so I lost, lost my company. It was flat broke, was living in my parents' basement. Uh, so it was more, I was more forced to a head than, Hey, I'm, you know, kind of unhappy, unsatisfied. So it was really a, I was almost forced to look at my life and like start to make change. And that was, you would describe like your rock bottom. That was as, as bad as it got. Yeah, definitely. I, and I, I mentioned, you know, success was was a driver for me. And I had worked really, really hard um, for eight years to try to be successful. And, uh, you know, ending up looking at a lot of my friends from business school, making a lot of money. And it was like difficult for me to afford to go out for dinner and was living with my parents. I remember my mom saying like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you should try this job or that job. And I was getting offended. <laughs> like, you know, almost like, fuck off, mom. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. And just like, what am I doing here? You know, and I've been pretty successful in, in school and, you know, had good jobs. And then all of a sudden was like, what am I going to do? And I was afraid. There was a lot of, of, of fear there. Uh, and leading up in my, my first company that failed, there was like two years of just fear of failure, feeling like, okay, what's it going to be like if I fail? What am I going to do for money? What are my friends going to think of me? What does that mean about me if I'm not successful? And like kind of having to confront and face that. And then the failure itself uh, was actually much easier than, than the fear of failure. So once you go through failure and realize like, hey, okay, I'm the same person. I have the same set of skills like, okay, what's the next thing? You know, it's not really tenable to continue to fail over and over. Like at some point you're going to learn from each failure and then, and then succeed. And so that's sort of what happened in my story. But I, I think what really sent me on this, this path of wellness and breath work and flow states and meditation and psychedelic medicines was just, um, trying to overcome this like addiction to being successful and to external validation. Mm. And substance abuse. Sure. Yeah. Dude, what you just said, like just unlocked something so powerful that I love. And I really want to uh, reiterate it. And that is that the fear of failure is much worse than the failure itself is. And and that is so true. <laughs> it's so true. You, you think you're going to lose everything when really you're just kind of in the same spot that you were before and you did gain experience. And that way you just learned. You didn't fail anything. And it's so crazy that we allow the fear... <laughs> the fear of the failure itself to be greater than the actual failure ever could be. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, as long as you, as long as you have hope, like hope is super powerful. And so, 
when hope is stronger than fear, it's very easy to be inspired, optimistic, energized. I'm working towards this thing. It's going to work. And especially, I don't know how many of your listeners are entrepreneurs, but if you are, you, you need that hope. You need that inspiration because what you're doing is, is difficult, right? It's not standard. And so when you wake up, you need to think like, how am I going to push this forward and be excited about it? And so when that hope dims, especially if you're you know struggling with substance abuse, even if you're drinking, when you wake up and you don't feel, you know, for a lot of people here are probably obsessed with health. You, you don't even have a good sleep. And it's like, okay, is this thing I'm doing going to work? And you have doubts creep in, doubts and fear. And so it's really important to, to have hope, um, to feel energized and feel confident. And, you know, when the business was failing, it was just fear because I, I wasn't hopeful. I was just like focused on this isn't going to work. There's no way it can work. You know, we have so many obstacles to overcome and, you know, what's it going to be like to fail? And then, and then when I did fail immediately, it was like, you know, on to the next thing. And then hope was there again. And it was like, Oh, I'm excited about this new thing. And so that's, that's kind of the, the thing about failure is once you fail, there's then space again for hope because you can start something new. I love that. That's great. So as you're looking back from here, from this view, you may not have recognized it as you were going through it, but what was, what were some of the turning points and how did you kind of write the ship? So two of the turning points were just like self-awareness was one. So, you know, if I asked you or asked your listeners, how did you feel today? What were the main emotions you felt? I would guarantee 90% of people would really struggle to answer that question. Most of us are on autopilot almost all day and it's just due to too much stimulation. So we're actually in the fight or flight almost the entire day. And so you think about your day, you pick up your phone. I think the average person picks up their phone like 300 times a day, uses it for more than three hours. And so every time you're picking up your phone, you're stimulating your, your fight or flight nervous system. It's a Slack notification, you know, you're late, a meeting response, some type of social media, you're, you're working your dopamine pathways and stimulating that fight or flight. And that's great. You know, the fight or flight system is needed and has its value, but it moves you away from these feelings of, well, from one oxytocin release and then two, which is responsible for like happiness and feelings of then like connection and emotions. And so you know, when you're in that space all the time, it becomes very hard uh, to enjoy yourself. So I just found I was overstimulated all the time and had no, no real way to control my nervous system state. And there's, there's many ways, but, but at the time, uh, had no way to control my nervous system state and also didn't know how I was feeling because I was always in fight or flight. And so you're not as reflective in that state. You're not taking the time to think like, okay, what's actually happening here. And so that's baseline in today's society. You are feeling naturally because of like cell phone use, overwhelm, how fast paced things are, diet, lack of connection to nature. That is how like the majority of people um, are feeling. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, I didn't even know like, Hey, I want to break that pattern. It was just something that happened by random chance. And so I was living in Israel after that first company failed. And I'd been meditating for a number of years using Headspace and was very interested in meditation, but never got beyond kind of the 10 minutes a day and thought I, I knew what I was doing and, and learned about a Vipassana meditation retreat, which is a 10 day a silent retreat with 10 hours of meditation per day. So literally on in that single week or so you're, you're doing two years of 10 minute meditations. Wow. Uh, and so you think of, Hey, I'm learning this new skill. I'm getting to a point where I feel the effects. And it was in that Vipassana, I started to learn about self-awareness. Like, why was I feeling the need to be successful? You know, why was I feeling called uh, to drugs and alcohol? What type of feelings were underneath? Where was there hurt? What parts of me um, needed acceptance? And, and, you know, I mentioned craving and aversion before. And so like a lot of times aversion, aversion to 
painful feelings. And as a result, people, you know, get addicted to work, to TV, to shopping, these things that make them feel good to avoid pain. And so that was sort of the first step for me into what I would say, both knowledge of self-awareness and two, being able to move my uh, nervous system state into more relaxed, like parasympathetic rest and digest mode and, and better connect with my feelings. You got to really feel like, who am I? You know, and so if you're listening and you're 25, 30, older, and you're like, I'm not feeling the zest for life anymore. I'm not connected to my authentic self, that place of like wonder and inspiration, like, like it was to be a child. And you think back to these moments in childhood that were amazing, you know, like those can be connected to again. And so kind of using these flow state experiences like meditation helped me to get back there. And, and that was the, you know, first pillar of change at the meditation retreat. I learned about psychedelic medicines, um, got pretty into ayahuasca and, and a few others. And, and that was sort of the second pillar of change. And those things really helped me um, just get into the present moment, uh, go through a lot of these emotions and understand day to day, how I'm feeling when I need a break, how to change that nervous system state. So I'll stop there. No, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of those plant medicines. Um, what What is that experience like? I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, but I've never experienced it myself. It sounds really intriguing. It sounds like something I, I would be interested in, but what what is the experience actually like? So they're slightly different depending on the medicine. And there, there's all kinds of types of, let's say, psychedelic medicines broadly, uh, synthetics like MDMA and ketamine to, you know, uh, natural like plant medicines like ayahuasca, uh, mescaline, San Pedro, uh, psilocybin, which is mushrooms. They all, aside from ketamine, work on the same uh, receptors in the brain, the serotonin 2A receptors. And so what they do they turn off what's called the default mode network. And it's a very similar response to somebody who is meditating deeply. And so you have this part of your brain in the prefrontal cortex, which generates your identity. And it's, it's used for survival and establishing patterns. And so you're taking in all these sensations, sights, sounds, smells, and you're wrapping stories around them. And these stories become you from when you're a child. So the story might be you know, you mentioned before about uh, hockey, like, yeah, I'm a hockey player. I'm an athlete. I'm a funny person. I'm an American. I'm a Canadian. I'm a female. I'm, you know, smart. And they, these things become your identity to help you survive. And they become more and more rigid as you, as you get older. And so when there's rigidity there, rigidity there, it becomes harder to change. And so as a result, you might think like, I'm not good. I'm unlovable. You know, all these different feelings that you have each day and and they become, the feelings that you feel all the time. And, and so it becomes difficult to change those patterns. And so, um, so when you take psychedelic medicines, they actually turn off that part of the brain and allow for new connections. So one analogy that's pretty famous is imagine, you know, skiing and all day long, people are on the same tracks, right? Those are your thought patterns. So you're having the same thoughts like day after day, like I need to achieve or, why doesn't this person love me? Or, you know, these thoughts about my parents, whatever it is, it's like the same thought processes and like cravings and aversions every day. And then a big snowfall comes and the snowfall is the psychedelic medicines, clearing the tracks, allowing you from, to make a change in your behavior and patterns. So I found them super powerful for just giving yourself a break for one, shutting down uh, the prefrontal cortex, which also happens with uh, breath work, which we can get into as well. And the second thing they allow you to do when you face trauma, uh, and, and trauma is just like a good way for someone who's never heard about these things is think about an experience you had of like fear, failure, rejection, 
you know, uh, some type of accident, some, some, it, it doesn't have to be like a car accident. It could be, you asked a girl out on a date and she said no and called you a loser when you're in, you know, grade five. And you had this experience of, of rejection or failure in the body and the cellular level that's stored in the body. There's a response there that's too difficult for your brain to, to process. And over life, throughout your life, these traumas, they, they build and are stored in the body. And so through breathwork, through psychedelic medicines, you can bring up these stuck emotions that you didn't process and, and let them go. And so there's been a ton of research on this for the last like 40 years. It's become common knowledge and, you know, clinical psychotherapy and like dealing with trauma and somatic release of, of what's in the body. And so the psychedelic medicines help to do two things. One, shut down that part of the brain that's always thinking. So if you're like, man, my mind, it's so negative the way it talks. You can shut that part down and go beyond to feel real connection, as I mentioned, to yourself, to others. And then you can also experience these old emotions and release them. And so like an example I had was like the first time I was yelled at as a child when I was, you know, four years old and a state of pure fear. And going back into that, my body's shaking, like wow. just like, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. This is terror. What is happening? And my body just twitching and like letting go of that memory that at the, at that age, I was too young to like understand what was happening and, and process that. Um, so just a really, really good way to shut down the mind, take a break, process emotions and like clear out the nervous system. That's amazing. Man, okay, so I've got some very strong opinions about our um, war on drugs that we've decided to do, which I think is totally stupid. These are not drugs that people would abuse. This is like, a, you know, can be a very intense and complex process. How would you recommend somebody who, you know, would like to get into something like that? You know, they, they, these things might be illegal. They may be hard to find. Like, what do you, what do you recommend for somebody who wanted just to try? So... There's, there's a range of options. And so the first is, is ketamine is legal. It's a synthetic. The duration is, is quite low. There's been a lot of confusion because it's also used as a recreational drug and, and has some tendencies toward uh, addiction. And most people think of it as like a club-based drug. They've heard of it and are like, oh, I've seen people like use ketamine at a club and pass out. And so there's, there's sort of a negative reputation around it. But at the same time, it's on the World Health Organization essential medicines list. It's been deemed a breakthrough drug by the FDA. It has the best uh, efficacy for treating depression of like any substance. So it's phenomenal for OCD, for changing states of mind. And the chances of a challenging trip, like getting caught in one of these traumas is very low. So it's, it's a pretty beautiful and pleasant experience that can immediately give uh, the neural pathways a change. Like I mentioned that snow falling. And so I think this is like a very lightweight way that is legal uh, to take part. And so if you have, it's not the most accessible now because of the cost, but in many large urban centers, there are ketamine clinics. So you can type in like you know, Field Trip, Mind Bloom, these are fantastic brands in the US. Um, so you can, you know, type in ketamine clinic in your city and assess if that is affordable for you. It's a really good way to start with a therapist. It's both legal and, and there's a ton of clinical data around uh, the processes to do that. So highly recommend that. If that is not accessible or there's a lot of people who aren't into the synthetics, they're like, oh, I want to, you know, do the, the natural things. There's obviously the ayahuasca retreat. I think that's a pretty, um, it's kind of like bringing out the bazooka. So I, I would say like, try to find uh, a local community in your city with people you can talk to. And, you know, if people have questions, they can reach out to me and I'm happy to chat one-to-one -one because for each person it's, it's different. There's like some dangers associated depending on your mental state as well. And, um, you know, are you, 
likely to be schizophrenic or have something like that in in your family. So there there are some uh, harm reduction tools that can be used. But for for people that are interested, I would say the best thing to do is is read the book How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. He, it's uh, Michael Pollan's a New York Times bestselling author. He goes into the science across the last fifty years, the history of psychedelic medicines. He describes three of his uh, trip reports, and and he took part at sixty. So you're never really like too old. I run a clubhouse show and had uh, 70, two 72 year old therapists that have been doing MDMA together for 20 years. And just, we're talking about the beauty of that process. And so I think learning more is the first step through, through reading. And so the Michael Pollan book is, is amazing. And then in terms of specific recommendations on how to find this there, there are many communities. So there was the, you know, clinics I had mentioned, but then also, uh, there's the psychedelic, uh, medicine society, psychedelic society in many cities, they have one and they have meetups. And so really good ways to go and meet other people in the city doing something similar to get personal recommendations uh, because these things are generally uh, illegal. And so procuring them is challenging. Safety is something to, to be mindful of. So what I found work best is talking to doctors that, uh, that, you know, that are familiar with integration, the entire process. So hopefully that's helpful. And if people have specific questions and they reach out to you, I would be happy to connect with them. Wow. That's great. No, that is super helpful and very practical. I really love that. Um, I want to transition over to the breath work. When did you start to, um, realize that your personal breathing needed to change or evolve somehow? It's a pretty interesting story. We were offering um, an ice bath in my backyard just for our community. It was super, super fun. And the idea was that it was an onboarding into meditation. And it was a way, if you're struggling with meditation, most people I know just couldn't make it a habit. They had calm, they had headspace and just struggled to like make it, put it into their daily routine. And so we're like, oh, wow, that, that's a bummer because uh, the meditation psychedelics helped me so much. I've actually been sober now for almost six years. And after, wow. after getting into these things, I joined the Ethereum Foundation really early on. And financially, things turned around for me. And, uh, you know, I met my fiance. And my life was just it's, it's super beautiful. And it's a result of psychedelic work and, and daily meditation. And I just found both of those things that weren't very good starting points for a mainstream normal persons, like ah, psychedelic medicines, they're illegal. Like I just mentioned all these things, you know, it's okay, I'm going to read this book, talk to these people. There's just like, it was too much for somebody to just go casually try. And then meditation was too hard. You know, the feedback cycle was is quite long. And so if you're just doing that 10 minutes a day, it can be very difficult. So I'd heard the stat that 86% of people don't have a mindfulness practice, which is like by far the majority. So kind of looked at that and we were using ice baths and saunas all the time because I'm sober and I just loved going to bathhouses. So a bathhouse is like a traditional Russian banya or thermal spa. It is a place with a you know sauna and usually a restaurant and a cold a cold dip. And was really inspired, you know, by ancient Rome and Mexico and Europe and all these cultures where they've been using hot and cold therapy since the beginning of time. And had been listening to you know Rhonda Patrick and Peter Atia and a lot of these health podcasts. And sort of the number one thing that's recommended along with fasting. And so I got really interested. I was doing that for a number of years and uh, through listening, I heard about Wim Hof. And so went to one of Wim Hof's seminars, tried the ice bath and the breathwork technique he was using, and I thought it was so cool. And so I ended up doing that for uh, probably a whole year, one of his YouTube videos, just like every morning. 
And I found it really um, combined well with my meditation practice. Then I also found when I would bring friends through it, they could feel something in a single session. And so a lot of them that had struggled to meditate were like, wow, this breath work, it's amazing. You know, like I really feel, I feel great. I feel really energized. And it's because you're using your breath to push the gas on the nervous system. As I said, when we started talking, you're turning on the, you know, the sympathetic, the fight or flight. And so you're energizing, you're creating awareness in the, and focus in the body. And uh, so, you know, had done the breath work, had been doing the hot and cold, and we built our own center uh, around like social hangouts and, and hot and cold. And in that center, we were teaching breath work. And it was only during COVID when we started doing breath work online um, because the people couldn't come to the physical space. And so it was like, everyone was struggling. We're like, Hey, in 30 minutes, you can really get some space from your feelings. As I mentioned, you can turn down that thinking mind and process emotions like fear related to COVID anxiety, financial strain. And, and we taught that uh, on zoom and we're getting hundreds of people a week join. And at that point it's like, wow, this is really cool. And so I read James Nestor's book, which is super beautiful, uh, amazing overview of all the different styles of breath work, the history of many different breathing practices and some science. I did a training with Patrick McKeon uh, called Oxygen Advantage. We did an XPT training with Laird Hamilton and just realized there was like breathing for performance, for relaxation, uh, breathing for like changing your emotional state. It just seemed in very similar manner to exercise. There were, you know, six, 10, 12 uh, basic techniques that could do different things in the body. And as I got to that level of research, reading almost every research paper on all these different styles of breathing, I realized like, wow, there's something really powerful here that can be woven into everybody's day to day. And that's when I got really excited about it. Mm, wow. In preparation for this, I you know, was thinking about the things I wanted to talk to you about. And I know Wim Hof kept coming up. I remember reading an article on him maybe like eight years ago. And they, they you know, he's the Iceman. You can go to his little place and he'll train you how to climb up a mountain in your shorts. And I thought, okay, that's, that's fine. That's a little weird, but whatever. He kept popping up. And a lot of those podcasts you mentioned, like Peter Atia um, would talk about him. Daniel Vitalis would talk about him on Rewild Yourself. I think he interviewed him there as well. And it, it, it's so interesting because he's been in my field of consciousness for many years now. And I, I have not done his method of breathing one time. And as I was, I was like kind of self-examining that this week, I feel, I feel like I haven't done it because I'm really intimidated by it. It feels like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do what he does and sit in an ice bath for 17 hours, you know, doing this kind of extreme breathing, but it's really not extreme. And I, I just, I think it might be a little bit intimidating to people. What are some of his more basic techniques that have really helped you or helped you like just get started with that? Yeah. And, and so this is why I believe there's an opportunity because I think, now more than ever, you need these techniques to reduce stimulation in the brain and shut down the thinking mind. And so in the last 15 years, since the invent of the cell phone, we're just massively overstimulated. And so where meditation may have worked for the mainstream 15 years ago, now you need, you need the bazooka. You need these tools, you know, the, the psychedelic medicines, the breath work, these things that get you into a flow state and physiologically shut down the default mode network in the thinking mind. And so that, that's one, I think now it's definitely the time. And this is why you're seeing people so driven towards the ice bath and breath work and it's exploding because people are stressed. They want to shut off. And you, you, people are realizing like you don't shut off properly by going out drinking, by going on vacation. Like these things, they don't help you to, to relax because you're still thinking all the time. And so it's how do you get more into your body? And we've lost that, right? And so I think there's just a massive undercurrent of people wanting 
if you're listening, you're like, fuck, I want to relax. Like these things immediately physiologically will help you relax. So that's the first thing I'll say is just there's massive interest in them. And that's why you're seeing them more and more is because they work in a single session, especially to just feel better. Now, the second thing is like, okay, for Wim specifically, you know, it's been the early adopters who like, okay, I'm struggling. I want to feel better. Like for me in, in drug addiction, going in the cold, it's it's very similar. It's a stimulation, the stimulating feeling. I feel alive, but it's in a healthy way. And I've seen like almost one-to-one people who struggle with addiction do really well with the cold and, and with breath work. And so you, you have these early adopters who are like into resilience, intensity, um, you know, the, the idea of like climbing a mountain in shorts is like, let's go. I want that challenge. And so we saw that. And then it's very similar with XPT where they're using these techniques, but for professional athletes and they're amazing, but those are early adopter groups. And, and I've seen these things actually work for the mainstream person. You know, the 40 year old lawyer addicted to their phone works all the time, just wants to relax, doesn't care about the spiritual elements or meditation or, or athletics. They just want to shut down, you know, and I've seen it to the 21 year old student who's studying for tests and is stressed. And it just kind of every person I've seen these modalities are accessible for. And so our goal was like, how do we make them, you know, like you said, not so intense, resilience focused, geared a lot towards men. How do we make them beautiful in a way that is fun? And so we do a lot of Wim Hof style breathing, which is just, it's a, it's a form of super ventilation and breath holds, which is actually uh, based on uh, an ancient practice called Tumo, which is thousands of years old. So his breathing style in the first place is, is a, is another breathing style, a lineage from another breathing style. And so our idea was like, okay, maybe on our website, we can have all the famous breathing styles and you can choose, you know, do you want to, do you want relaxation? Do you want to boost your energy? Do you want to deal with stress? Do you want to, uh, you know, bring up and process challenging emotions? Do you want to improve sleep? And then can we put these to beautiful music? And so a lot of the breathwork sessions we have are like guided with amazing music. So they're not intimidating. And then you can choose, you know, if you want six minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 60 minutes. So the idea was really, how do you take these flow state inducing practices that we know work that we know through running this, you know, wellness center in our, my backyard that we know work for everybody and make them cool and fun and mainstream so that everyone who's dealing with stress can benefit. That's so cool. I was playing around on the website last night and I, I have to say you have definitely accomplished that if that is the goal. It looks it looks engaging. It is beautiful. I'm so glad you mentioned that a few times. The videos are really vivid and incredible and I'm so curious to try it. It looks like you can do a seven-day free trial period. Is that correct? It is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I cannot wait to try that. <laughs> I'll be doing that this weekend for sure. Um, another practice of breathing I, I love talking about this. I, you know, got really more diligent with this when we interviewed James Nestor, um, learned about it also from Patrick McEwen, but all the mouth taping. Can you tell us a little bit about what mouth taping does? Yeah. And so you mentioned before, why are people breathing poorly? Why have our habits changed? And there's a few things. So one is just, you know, you're working remote, you're at your computer all day. There's something called email apnea. So when you're intensely focused and you're, you're writing emails and, you know, reading, you hold your breath, you stop breathing, you start breathing faster. Uh, because you're in that fight or flight state, your body believes it's stressed and starts breathing through the chest. At the same time, we're eating way more acidic forming foods. So, you know, processed foods, sugary foods, as a result, it changed the pH levels in the blood. And we need to breathe faster to breathe out more carbon dioxide to reset the pH levels. So those two things are new. 
And as a result of those, we have something called CO2 tolerance. It's the amount of carbon dioxide in the body. So think of your brain as a little humidifier, you know, little like a nest switch in your brain measuring the amount of CO2. And over time, because we're breathing out so much because of these things I mentioned, that CO2 level, the average CO2 level is going down. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem because the amount of CO2 in the blood determines how much oxygen you can actually absorb in the brain and body. And so a nice analogy, I think it might be James Nestor's, is just imagine each blood cell is a little boat docking in your lungs, picking up a bunch of oxygen molecules and driving them around to the muscles, to the brain, to the tissue, to the organs. That oxygen is, is your, your lifeblood. You know, your cells are using that oxygen and creating ATP to function. And so when you don't have enough carbon dioxide in the body, the boat is driving around, but the boat doors are closed. So just imagine the oxygen in that boat can't get out effectively. So there's this whole idea of CO2 tolerance. And because of, you know, to recap, because of poor diet and overstimulation, we're breathing through our mouth, getting rid of too much carbon dioxide. The average amount of carbon dioxide in the body is going down and we're having trouble pulling oxygen from the lungs into the tissues, into the brain. And they've done studies on this in just like three minutes of uh, mouth breathing quickly. You can reduce the amount of oxygen to the brain by like 40, 50%. And so there's a literally a wine bottle of blood flow through the brain every minute. And so imagine, wow. you know, decreasing that oxygen, like they've done studies on fighter pilots and saw them immediately lose focus from poor breathing. And so the idea of mouth tape relates to improving your CO2 tolerance, especially if you're eating at night. So if you're eating, you know, a McDonald's meal, 10 PM on Uber eats and you fall asleep, your body is going to try and regulate its pH by breathing super quickly through the mouth, getting rid of uh, excess carbon dioxide. As a result, your CO2 tolerance is getting lower. Your mouth is open. You're breathing poorly. And, and James and Andres Olson do this test in, uh, I believe it's Stanford, over seven days where they plug their nose and breathe completely through their mouth. And they just see like their heart rate variability, take a dive, their sleep, take a dive, their heart rate, they get stuffed up noses. There's all kinds of negative effects. And it just goes to show even in seven days of pure, of poor breathing, it impacts your entire nervous system. So the idea behind mouth tape is that we tape the mouth shut. We're not breathing through the, the mouth. We're breathing through our nose, which has also other benefits. It increases nitric oxide. It's like a humidifier that sterilizes the air. It changes the air temperature to reduce inflammation in the lungs. So all kinds of benefits from nose breathing in general. But the idea is trying to improve your CO2 tolerance over time. And there's a really interesting, it's not perfect, but there's an interesting test called a CO2 tolerance test, which is just in the morning, one breath in, one breath out, and hold your breath until your diaphragm contracts. And if that's sub 20 seconds, this is a Patrick McKeon oxygen advantage, like staple. There's a lot of evidence that you can leverage your health by improving your breathing. And so mouth taping, if you're under 20 seconds for that test, mouth taping is an amazing way, along with breathwork techniques and breathing through your nose uh, to improve that CO2 tolerance. So if you're feeling like I can't sleep properly, I'm tired, I'm sluggish, it may be that you're not absorbing oxygen effectively. Great explanation. I absolutely love that. For a better part of my career, I was fortunate enough to use metabolic carts, which would measure people's breathing, and it would measure the oxygen and carbon dioxide that you're talking about and how they exchange in the body. And that would be related to what fuel somebody would be burning, and that would be related to how somebody is eating. And I know that um, nutrition is a big passion of yours, but when, when did that become something that you were more aware of, and where did you land on 
on, on the, the right diet to help you with stress and with breathing correctly? That's a super interesting one. I've been interested in diet for 10, 15 years. I've tried, you know, huge fan of Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey and Peter Atia. My fiance is actually a registered dietitian, worked at a hospital. So we've tried, you know, I've done a full year of keto. I do five day fasts. I do intermittent fasting. I've done paleo diets. I've done points where I was doing like trying to put on size and like, you know, measuring all my, my macros on my fitness pal and really like, you know, bringing around a bag full of chicken breast and broccoli when I would go out and it'd be super <laughs> anal about it. And it's funny because now, so, so recently actually for listeners too, I realized it's, it's super personalized what your diet should be. And so, you know, an example, I recently did 23 and me and then overlaid uh, this tool called gene food which based on your genetics will give you a recommendation of, of what your food pattern should be. And I, I don't know exactly how accurate it was, but, but mm. for me, it was saying, you know, saturated fats would actually cause inflammation. So I shouldn't be eating a ketogenic diet. It was pretty interesting because when I would do 21 days plus of keto, it would feel great for those first three weeks, I would lose weight. And then I would start to feel sluggish. My sex drive would decline. Uh, and so I would stop. And so, you know, but, but all you'd ever hear was like sugar, terrible, don't spike your glucose, like which there is evidence for, but also like, you know, um, ketogenic diet, it's the one. And it turns out for my body, it's actually not at all like eating a ton of meat also caused inflammation in my body. So, you know, the diet I was recommended was this one that was like a California Mediterranean style diet with a lot of fish. And so hmm. I had no, I had no idea, you know, and I, I'm healthy. I'm like looking at all this stuff. I'm understanding metabolic pathways, the processes. I've seen like many coaches and I was still doing the wrong thing. And so, you know, and then also just like the amount of work that's went into it. And so now days I'm actually more way less stringent about it. Um, I just try to eat local foods. I love uh, a lot of bone broth. I like to make giant stews that I can put in the freezer and like quickly make, I have this amazing morning juice that I drink after uh, exercise that kind of includes, I, I mean, I can go into the ingredients, but somebody, it's like a 40 ingredient, you know, kind of like this vegetable juice with like yogurt and probiotics and all kinds of, of whole foods uh, that I love. And so, you know, I, I try to do now, if I'm like really doing well, intermittent fasting um, with an eight hour window. I try to reduce my meats, but I still, I still do eat meats and I get it right from a farmer. I love bone broths. Uh, I try to get a lot of veggies in. And then if I'm eating, honestly, some snacks here and there, I don't really care. Uh, that's fine with me. I just, I feel it's, it's just not one of my goals to like optimize all the time. And th which is strange because it used to be completely different. And then one funny story is I was building two businesses this year and super busy. And, you know, I was just ordering a ton of pizzas. And so, so that was something I'd never done for, 10 years, you know, when I was eating Uber eats like three, four, five times a week, which is crazy. So wow. like, why am I doing this? <laughs> and so, uh, I've sort of slowed down on that now, but you know, I think the end of the day, what I'm realizing with all this stuff is just find a routine that works for you. That makes you feel good. And then if you break from it every once in a while, um, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, you can always like, you know, do challenges and put in place new things. But I think, not judging yourself is what kind of comes down to me at the end of the day uh, as the most important. And, and that's from somebody who's kind of done like everything. Yeah. Wow. No, that's great advice. I, I, there's a few things in there I really love and your ability to change your diet over time to serve you for what you need right now. Like, 
yeah, probably not the best thing to do to have tons of pizza during the week, but it's also a highly stressful time where you're busy. That has some benefit to it. And, you know, you have to be responsible for the things you put in your body. And, and I, I love that. I think it's great to ask yourself, how does this feel? Is this serving me? Am I getting the most out of this and feeling great? If so, then keep going. And if not, maybe you should change something. I think it's super interesting that you did that genetic test and, and were able to change your diet completely. Um, did you notice it was harder to fast when you introduced uh, more, I guess, I guess more like snacks in between? Fasting for me, I love fasting. Like I find it as just a, uh, a challenging practice that it's like a peak state almost. And, you know, so I've always been really into extreme sports, substance abuse, as I mentioned, very, um, stimulation. And so when I do something, I do it like 150%. I'm just a really intense person. And I did some genetic testing also. And my brain clears dopamine really quick. So that's why I'm like prone for addiction as well. Um, so I just found like, I love these peak challenges. You know, I did an eight day dark retreat where I lived in a cave this year in complete darkness. Wow. I've done Vipassana retreats and psychedelic medicines. And I love like long fast and just like, okay, can I do it? There's like an intensity to it. And then I have a, a few tricks. You know, I usually like to fast. I, I drink coffee, which some people say not to, but I, I like coffee and green tea. And then at night uh, I'll use the element, the raw uh, LMNT, the, the raw, no sugar added, no sweetener added, just salts. And then I'll do a sauna and I like a sauna in the evening. It helps me wind down and sleep when you hit that like 6 PM, like, man, I would eat anything and I can smell like the food from two streets away. And so those tricks, um, using caffeine and salts in a sauna in the evening, uh, really for me, like three, five day fast, I, I can do it. Um, pretty well. So those, those are really helpful if people are thinking about fasting. And then the other nice one is like a group fast, which is really cool. And so we would form these WhatsApp groups and we would do like 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, and everybody would do it together. And then they would post like how they're feeling and check in each morning and night. I found that extra accountability made it more fun. So all those things uh, made fasting itself much easier. Uh, intermittent fasting can be challenging if you're, if you're snacking hundred percent. Gotcha. Well, you also went through somewhat of a reset period before you decided to change your diet. And so I think that's important to note as well. I think if somebody's been eating a standard American diet for 40 years, like, yeah, fasting is going to be way tough. But once you clean up the diet and start to add more things back, your diet may look completely different, but you might respond way differently than you did before to those foods anyway. Yeah, totally. And, and, and then, you know, again, it's just like, just test things here and there. And it's, it's kind of something you're gonna be working on your entire life. It's not, Hey, I'm just going to do this for three days. It's finding for you what works, you know? And if for me, it's, I'm perfectly okay with eating a pasta here and there and, and bread. And like, it just doesn't, my goal wasn't to, like just at this stage of my life, it's not to optimize for 99% health, which, you know, for a lot of people listening, there's probably people who that's, would never do that. Would think that's insane. You know, I know people who measure their glucose and it's like, Oh, berries, blueberries spiked my glucose. So I'm not going to eat them. And like, for me, I think you want to just determine, okay, well, what is important to me about my health? What is the baseline I need? What are some of the changes I can try and like actually commit to? And then how do I, how do I feel with that? You know? And then one thing, a counter example is just when I do eat Uber Eats at night, pizza and stuff like that, I feel like shit the next morning. And like, it's noticeable. It feels like a hangover. Like I don't drink, but it feels like a hangover. And so it's like, Hey, okay. This is glorifying to eat the whole pizza at night. But like, what do I feel like now? And that's the truth. You know, you hear people on this stuff and it doesn't have to be 
I'm like 99% perfect all the time. I think it's totally fine to, to have these cheat meals and just kind of think really about what works for you. That's great. I love that. You have made a focus. Um, you mentioned your two companies and I know one is more like physical spaces and this has been a very tough time for opening physical spaces. In fact, you are in one of the parts of the world that has had the hardest time opening up physical spaces. Why was that important for you? In terms of why, why is the physical space important? Yeah. It's important. It's important for a number of reasons. So for me, there's a couple things we're trying to do. One, just my personal story was like, I wanted to go out and socialize and I had tried Alcoholics Anonymous and some of these other uh, groups, which are amazing, but I just didn't feel inspired after the sessions. So I wanted to go out to, you know, a cool bar, but they didn't exist. And I, I couldn't be around my friends at like a Soho house or a restaurant where everybody's drinking. And, and then even then when I started to re-implement that stuff, I just found I wasn't connecting in the same way I was doing some of these other modalities and people are all drinking, you know, you go out for dinner, everybody has their phone on the table. Everyone's checking their phone. People are getting like pretty wasted. And I was just like, wow, this caliber of these conversations isn't great. Like why isn't there um, a, a nightlife with more meaning? Uh, and, and people are struggling. They're striving for like connection and, and meaning in their life. Right. They want to connect, but there's just, there's just no way to do that. And then I started doing research around it and found like loneliness is basically an epidemic. Like 60% of people identify as lonely. 25% of people in the US don't even have a single friend. Wow. Like take that in. And that number has, I think, 4X'd in the last 25 years. And again, it's due to, due to cell phones. And so that to me, I was like, okay, well, how do we create a space that's going to help people overcome loneliness and feel meaning and connection. And so the idea was, well, let's start with something that's healthy and that makes you feel good. And so it was the ice bath and sauna. And then let's layer in some other things that get people into a flow state. So you come into our physical space, it's a 45 person sauna, a crazy sound system. And, and you can think of the parallel as like working out used to be for professional athletes and bodybuilders. And so 20 years ago, it was like gold's gym. And like, you know, you'd see these images of people on steroids, lifting weights. It wasn't a mainstream, uh, you know, thing at all. And now you have soul cycle or Barry's bootcamp or like some hit training or CrossFit where you go. And it's like a community. There's like flashing lights and loud music. It's fun. It's entertaining. So it's kind of thinking like, why aren't men, why isn't mental health have the same impact? Like why aren't there mental health activities you do as a group? And so many people probably listening are like, yeah, I do a five minute gratitude journal. I listen to self-hypnosis. I do calmer headspace. And I was just like, okay, well, these things are awesome, but like, why aren't we taught to feel our emotions in a group in a way that's fun? And so there's two things. One is like wanted to build a better social, healthy experience to help with loneliness, to help people who had addiction, to be inspired in a way that was healthy. And then two, wanted to start implementing laying on top of that emotional training to help people feel like gratitude, to release anger, to release fears. And so we came up with this idea of sauna classes, which I don't actually think is happening anywhere in the world. And so, you know, 45 person sauna, crazy sound system inside. It's like you're in a theater, like you're at a Cirque du Soleil show, four ice baths outside, you know, fire pits that people are sitting around and like talking, connecting. Everyone goes into the sauna together. The lights go out, you know, lavender essential oil goes over the stove, helping everyone relax. People are guided through a breath work. The music's coming on. It's pumping to the base. You're breathing, feeling the heat. And then when you hit that trance state where the mind is shut down, you're in your body. It's like a guided gratitude meditation to make you feel 
just like grateful for being here, for being in your body connected to the people in the sauna. And I just saw it like explode, you know, people who had no interest in any of this stuff for the first time saying, wow, I feel great. Like that was fun. You know, I feel loving. I feel self-love. I feel gratitude. I can't believe it. I'm going to call my daughter. I'm going to call my friends. I'm going to like, you know, send a message to my mom and like people, because these um, modalities do something similar to alcohol, they boost norepinephrine, which is the neurotransmitter responsible for like mood, attention, vigilance. They make you feel alive. All of a sudden you're vulnerable. You're willing to connect. You don't have social anxiety. So we kind of started molding what we thought was the perfect social experience to deal with loneliness and help people find meaning uh, through what I just said. So that's really like, you know, the breath work is super important to me as well because it's an easier way to get into meditation with just daily sessions you do on an app that are fun, uh, that can make you feel something immediately. But then you layer on the social aspect where, you know, you're doing breath work with friends, you're meeting people in this community, you're coming together, you're not lonely, you find your your tribe. Um, and so that was sort of the the reasoning behind it. And it's just been going amazing. Like it's so fun. Like I've got so many people who went on psychedelic medicine retreat or read like a Michael Pollan book and they come and say, wow, I'm, you know, looking for my community. That's also interested in like, I don't want to say mental health because mental health means there's something wrong with you, but just like interested in feeling good, feeling inspired, transforming your life. And like, there's this whole community of people who are like, yo, you should try this breath work or you should do this retreat or like, you know, a day out in nature, or here's my gratitude journal. Like all these things people are doing on their own in single player mode. It's like a place to do those together in a way that's cool. Um, which it just to my knowledge doesn't exist. So that's, that's why we're excited. Man, your business model damn well better include building one of those in my neighborhood. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Hundred percent. Let's go. Where Where do you live? <laughs> We're just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. Yeah, perfect. I mean, you, so the the plan is to build three in the in the in Toronto in the next year as just pilots and like get it perfect. Like already, we've been building for the last six months, and it's it's tough. Like getting all this stuff right. There's a lot of you know, you think of a fitness studio, there's so much more complexity with the safety around the water and like the electronics and just teaching facilitators. Like we're doing self-hypnosis in the sauna. And so there's just a lot, but as soon as we master it, which I'm hoping in the next six months, the plan is to move to the U S and I, I would love to see one of these. And it doesn't even have to be us who builds them all because it's all about accessibility. So teaching others is like we're really passionate about that. So we teach others how to build these in their own hometown. So more people can use these services. So um, I'm, I'm betting that in the next few years, there'll be, there'll be something in Salt Lake city that you can, can use for sure. Perfect. I will continue using your online content until then. Um, I I'm, I'm curious to know, maybe, I mean, since you've been in this world for longer, um, maybe this didn't surprise you, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, did the demand surprise you? Because I don't, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but it sure seems like you had this great idea and people were like way on board from day one. So the, yeah, I mean, it wasn't meant to be a business. It was just an ice bath in a backyard. And what didn't surprise me was that what I knew would happen is I saw it. We, we traveled to 65 bathhouses around the world and like, just like, I just love bathhouses. And so I was going to them all the time while I was working at Ethereum and just always saw like, okay, this is a pretty good experience. And then I'd done many psychedelic and meditation retreats and saw like, okay, this is a good experience. So I definitely know my friends are overwhelmed. Like anyone you ask today is probably like, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. That like, if you're like, Hey, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm so busy. That's like basically every single person will say that. So I'm like, okay, everybody's busy. They're overwhelmed. They want to feel better. And 
these practices work and we saw them. We'd go on like, you know, 25 people at a conference would go out to the bathhouse and everyone would be like, fuck, I feel amazing. And so I kind of saw that. And then what really surprised me was just like the depth, you know, like people were coming into the ice bath and it's 18 year old, 35 year old, 60 year old, any race, any religion, any, you know, gender, it didn't matter. It's like kind of the same, like so many people could, could resonate with it, which I thought was really cool. And so right from the beginning, we knew like, okay, everybody loves this for the most part. They love connecting. They love this feeling they have afterwards. And that's what like during COVID we're like, shit, can we even build this? Can we do this? Like, are we going to have to shut down? But I just saw, you know, I had, I had people call me like a bunch of people struggling with addiction. Like, Hey man, I've been sober a year and a half because of you, because of your space. And wow. I was like, Whoa, okay. That's awesome. So that was, it's just like, we're looking at people's faces. Like we're training, uh, we're training like what we call like sauna masters now. And so there are people who can teach breath work, you know, sauna classes, cold exposure and 25 people from our community just showed up, uh, randomly. And we're wow. like, yeah, we want to learn. And so we were all in my backyard the other night training everyone. And people are like, I just love it here. I don't even need to get paid. I don't, I just want to come and like be part of it. And we're like, Whoa. So, you know, you kind of see this stuff and you're like, Hey, there's an indication this is going to work. And then on the flip side, nobody knows what it is. So like so many people come in and they're like, what is this? Like cold? What do you mean? I've seen Wim Hof. What are the benefits? Why? You know, I live in Canada. It's winter. I hate the cold. I'm resistant. I'm afraid of it. That's like 99% of people. So it's really cool because I know for anyone who tries it, it works. And then I also know that most people don't know what it is. So it's been really interesting because the people who do it, they become like, oh man, I love this thing. I want to talk about it. You know, even when we were open, people would just take pictures of them in the ice bath. There's a cool place in LA called Remedy Place that's always like posting this stuff and it just goes viral. And like people are like, well, what is this? I want to try it. So I think it's really cool because there's there's like not quite huge demand yet, but anyone who tries it loves it. So the challenge is like, okay, how do we get this out to like the mainstream? And that's that's really where I think to date that hasn't been done well. It hasn't been conveyed. And so a lot of stuff's either like geared too much towards men or resilience or like really geared towards spirituality. So I think what the next phase is, is like making all this stuff available to just the mainstream person and getting them to love it. I love that. That sounds amazing. And I'm sure you're going to continue putting out online content for those of us who do not live in the kind of Toronto area and can make it up to your facility. Yeah. I mean, we're building a mobile app now. It should launch in, in two months. So we have, we have the website now, the course platform, membership platform with, you know, hundreds of classes and uh, we just raised uh, VC funding. And so we're building a mobile app. We should launch it in the next two months. And we're committed to, you know, every day, every week, five, seven, 10 new breathwork sessions, new pieces of content. So the idea is to have like a mindset coach in your pocket that can make you feel better at any time. That's great. I love that. I love the work that you're doing. And I think it, it is so needed. And I, I think you're right. I think people don't even know what they're missing. They know they're missing something. They just don't know what that is. And they're chasing the wrong thing when what they really need is connection. They need to chill out and relax. Like you said, I think that's great. This has been such a cool conversation. I would love to know if you had one simple tip for the listener, what that would be. What, what would you want somebody to take away from this conversation? Well, that's a tough one. I'm trying to like think down my, my focus into one, if there's one like thing you can do for me, I think it's just don't give up if you're on this path. And so there's so many routes and even, you know, I've seen friends here struggling with addiction rehab 10 times, you know, and tried everything. And then they find the one thing that works. And so if the psychedelics don't work for you, perhaps, 
It's, you know, being in a, in a healthy, inspiring community. If that doesn't work, perhaps it's meditation, meditation retreats. If that doesn't work, perhaps it's functional medicine, focusing on your diet, getting your body healthy. If that doesn't work, perhaps it's like extreme sports. So just, I think, you know, don't give up because there's just so many of these things to try. And I've seen, I've seen so many people who uh, were struggling for so long and then found what worked for them. And so, you know, if you're listening to all these podcasts and trying to be healthy, what works for you is going to be different than what works for somebody else. So just don't judge yourself, find what works for you and don't give up. Love it. Love it. Love it. Where should we send people to connect with you and find your work and what should they expect when they get there? Yeah, I think the best place now is just inwardbreathwork.com. And so that is uh, our website where you can sign up for the free trial that was mentioned. And, and if you like it, it's, you know, uh, amazing breathwork platform in your pocket. Uh, you can also follow me personally at Robbie Bent one on Twitter. Uh, I build in public. So we talk about our new space. We share our mission we share photos of the space. We share what we're doing. And then if you're in Toronto, you can, uh, Come find us at go underscore inward on Instagram or inward breathwork on Instagram at any of those locations. If you mention you want to talk to me, I'm happy to give people with discounts, products, sessions. So yeah, feel free to reach out if you have questions on any of this stuff. That's awesome. Robbie Bent, thank you so much. Thank you for your journey and all the things you've learned along the way and for your desire to help people grow and, um, you know, deal with trauma better, deal with stress better and relax and, and, and have a greater sense of gratitude and love in life. So thank you very much for all you do. It looks like I need to take a trip up to Toronto here pretty soon to experience your facility. And uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time to be with us today on Balanced Body Radio. Yeah, Casey, we'd love to host you and I uh, appreciate you giving me the space to tell my story. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. Mm-hmm.